Say that the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm switching to the Yerba Mate because the coconut water just wasn't getting it done. And so that's where we're at. It's like a very, very sober version of a, a sad country song about I'm switching to whiskey because the beard's not doing it anymore. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't kicked in yet, but uh, uh, updates to follow. Sure. You, the listening audience, will probably be able to uh, pinpoint right when that mate kicks in. <laughs> That's right. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings from me and from Dr. Pepper. Ah. Uh-huh. Wow. Join us all the way from Oak Church, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Earl Gray sends his greetings to all of oh. you as well. Wow. Mm. Now, you get, are you guys trying to do that thing where you mention stuff on the podcast and then they send it to you? Is that the yeah, trick? Yeah, Earl Gray's not? got a lot of money. We want to get in on that. Yeah. He's an Earl, bro. Wow. Yeah, well, endorsements okay. are a good thing. Yeah. Okay. I'm drinking water I've cupped with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> I did, we just have a crick running here through the uh, the underground bunker that I will occasionally <laughs> bend down and grab a handful of, as is my mountain waves. Oh, well. Uh, but we have a lot of good stuff on the show, a lot of great questions. But first, I must declare a long, long ago emergency. Wow. There's an emergency. An emergency? A cinematic emergency? A cinematic emergency, a pop culture emergency. Okay. A big money emergency, you might say. That's where we, your humble friends that say that podcast here, come in. So uh, they they released the, as we we record this on Sunday the 14th, you're listening to it at some point in the future. Yeah. We don't have time for that. I point (laughs) to Glenn. As he points to Glenn. (laughs) What? I mean... Are you saying that people, like, this show is recorded a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Is that what you're trying to say? basement far, far away. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully it's a basement far, far away from you because it's been snowing for the past 12 hours here in (laughs) mid-April. But... Like Hoth. Yes. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) He brings it back around, folks. Glenn is his own distraction, but also... We'll give you the segue to get out of it. Yeah. Much like the light and dark side of his own situation. Yeah. So we got a new Star Wars trailer. Okay. Episode nine. Hotly anticipated yeah. by various corners of the internet. Hotly projecting upon their own uh, very confused and angry opinions about women from other corners of the internet. But everybody's Lord, talking about it. Go away with that. Yep, everybody's talking about it. But one of the big things, so they did the you know the teaser trailer because mm-hmm. now you got to have a trailer for your trailer, right? Oh, much like some of your uh, finer uh, vehicles you'll find driving around the southern part of these United States, right? Uh, double trailers when you know you've really made it. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so uh, you know, they get, and there's there's you, know, the, you got the laser swords, you got the the speeders and whatnot, and everything you want out of a Star Wars movie. You got a Chewbacca because if Chewbacca ain't in it, that's a whole different thing, right? You got there. a Chewbacca and a Billy D. Williams. Mm. He, Chewbacca's my favorite. I believe yeah. that. I I think I might be part Chewbacca. You know what I mean? All right. <laughs> Take off the the shirt. Boom, Chewbacca. It <laughs> does also explain the growling. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the bandolier. We didn't see that coming. Yeah, you know, it's just full of snacks. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, but the the, the big you know, laser sword fight, and then it cuts to black. And then we hear a familiar voice. Familiar voice if you're a fan of the, uh, star, of the Star Wars there. And certainly a familiar voice if you're a fan of the various Jeds mm, of the Say wow. That podcast. Okay. Uh, this is a character uh, named Emperor Palpatine, who I believe is named after our own Palpatine Jed. That's right. If right. I have my timeline correct on that. And yeah. now this is a character that has been missing for quite a number of installments of the Star Wars. Right. And then eh, maybe your old friends of the Say That podcast start burning up the popularity there. Uh-huh. And no less an entity than Lucasfilm and the Disney Corporation thinks we got a little competition on our hands. Well, That's wow. Right. That's right. It's on now, y'all. Wow. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I, we don't have proof of not that. Yeah. So the, I'm, the conspiracy runs deep. Right. As deep as uh, Orlando, apparently. Sure. But I think the question remains to us, A, do we, do we want to take legal action? I'm Possibly. sure we have a fine case that would last in any of your better courtrooms in the <laughs> central Florida circuit. Absolutely right. It doesn't take a lot yeah. to have a hearing in that particular courtroom. Uh, yeah. But also, uh, can we get them back? Can we t- maybe take some Star Wars elements 
and fold them into this year's show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I like it. Well, I've always thought that you're ultimately riding in style if you're riding on an Imperial Star Destroyer. Right. I think, sure. you know, we transport a lot of people to the bridge. Oh. And right, right now, through the incredibly generous giving of some amazing people, we have vans that do that. And they do it well. They do it yeah. admirably. But just think about the ministry impact of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Wow. As the transport from the various programs we work with to the bridge. Bingo. I mean, that's a game changer is what yep. that is. Well, not only do you have ion cannons, Jed, to deal with pesky like streetlights and stuff like that, but I think you might have like a tractor beam or something. If somebody decides they don't oh, yeah. want to go to the bridge that night, you just you just pull them in with the tractor beam. See, this is exactly what I'm saying. Right, it's groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, you know, you you got the thing where they they got the little floating ball that jabs you with stuff and makes you tell the truth. That's pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, I feel like you know what you take our thing, we take your thing. Makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> That's how we do. You know, yeah, I just way to go. I mean, I certainly uh, like Jed Star Destroyer theory here because um, I'm I'm on. Oh, I didn't realize this was the name of that. I googled uh, Star Destroyer names. I figured you know I'm going with that. Uh, apparently, there's a Star Wars based kind of, you know, crowd-funded information source that is called... Wikipedia. Thank you for not making me say it. That's for real? Yeah, <laughs> yep. But here's the thing. Now, we do we do have uh, some wonderful vans that have been, uh, uh, thanks to the very generous nations of uh, some wonderful folks out there in the world that have totally revolutionized the way we do the bridge. We can bring... Absolutely. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we uh, there was an event going on at the place we normally have the bridge. We had to do it at a secondary location. Uh, years ago, that would have been catastrophic. We would have had to literally trying to go around the streets telling people, but now we could just, we pick them up anyway, take them to a different location. Super easy. makes the the things partnership we do with residential programs and whatnot, uh, invaluable to that. Right. So we've got two full size vans. We've got a minivan. And now we, just for sake of ease, we're telling people, you know, they'll say, what are we, how are we getting home? We'll say you're in the minivan or you're in the black van or you're in the white van. Right. For those are the corresponding colors. Right. Think about just how much happier you could be if you told someone they said, well, what are we going home in? And you could say the executor. Yeah. Mm, nice. But here's wow. one. The ravager. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Right. Wow. This is uh, apparently this is uh, from one of the later ones. Liberty's misrule. Whoa. <laughs> you that's know what? Intense, that's, man. that's a little long for a name. I yeah. Mean, it's but think li- how good it'll look stenciled onto the side of that Chrysler town and country. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of a lot of uh, die rebel scum kind of a, absolutely you know, a lot, that kind of attitude. You absolutely. Know. Uh, well, could we have loudspeakers where they're playing the Imperial March? Totally. As we drive through the neighborhood, you know. I think that's just right. To take that even further, why not? And it's for both, you know, celebration and security. Why not outfit our deacons with stormtrooper outfits? Absolutely. I'm just saying. I think it's a great point. I would uh, push for the long uh, red ones, like the Imperial Guard oh, style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Crimson Guard, or whatever they call that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think, that, I think that's a strong, you know, if you walk in and they tell you, um, you know, service normally starts at 730, you're going to make a note. Yeah. To be back at 730 next week. Well, if you guys had force powers too, if a if a pastor went over his preaching time, you could just kind of hit him with the lightning or something like that, you know? Right. Well, I think you do the Darth Vader choke uh, where yeah. you hold, oh, yeah, hold that hand up and choke him <laughs> yeah. long distance. That just pinches a windpipe right off. That yeah. cuts off the preaching. If he right starts using time. a if he starts using a stupid illustration that nobody oh. cares about, it just kind of oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find your lack of ability to talk like a human being disturbing. Yeah. Well, Well, sir, these are all million dollar ideas. Yeah. I I will steer us a little bit away from the Star Wars. Okay. To the land of the less fantastical, but no less fantastic for another million dollar idea. And Glenn, this happened just last week at our bridge service. Yeah. We, as, as Lee points out, you know, we have a, every, we have four speakers, one of our staff people and three pastors, all 10 minute slots. Yeah. Uh, there's no need to go over 10 minutes because right. you don't have anything that's that good to say. If right. it was that good, it would fit in the 10 minutes and you could just say it. Right. But you know, occasionally, particularly new folks, they're not, uh, not as, 
not as hip to that. So we have a normal system where at the eight minute mark, one of our staff people will walk in the back and, you know, no one else can see it. Obviously, they're in the very back. They will hold up two fingers, which is an indication to the pastor, wrap it up. Right. You have two minutes remaining. Yes. If they don't, from there on, you'll get a tapping the watch gesture. <laughs> you'll get a grinding one hand into the other gesture. And they just kind of get more obscene and threatening from there. Yeah, the, the one lone finger drawn slowly across the neck gesture. Yes, indeed. But we had a new idea. Yeah. And Glenn, has this brought you so much joy? Why don't you share it? Well, uh, the people who are maybe from my generation will remember a show called The Gong Show. Yeah. And uh, basically, it was essentially a talent show. People just you know could juggle or whatever it was. And they'd come out and do the thing. You had like celebrity judges. And if at any point it just stopped being sufficiently good or worth watching, someone would just stand up, take a, a big giant mallet and hit a giant gong. <laughs> and then the people would just immediately have to go away. Right. Which was just wonderful. And sometimes it'd be like, They'd come out and it wouldn't be good. And someone get up and like they're about to do it. And it would sort of get better. And there's like, wait, there's well, more to the act. And then like, you know, <laughs> and then, but if they made it to the end, then I, they would like judge them. I try to remember like what, uh, like a, no one remembers that part. Number of points or something. Like it was that. basically, you know, that first episode of American Idol where everybody's bad and that's why it's funny. That was eventually that's what the gong show came. Yeah. People, they realized nobody likes the good acts. They want to see yeah. gonging. That's right. So, yeah, we came up with the idea of if you combine this idea with church. Hello. Wow. You know, somebody's getting up to make the announcements, and right. they're taking a little too long, and they're putting a little bit too many details. Gong. We just gong you, <laughs> and then you learn something. Well, see, that's the thing, is with our bridge system, what it's designed to do is save the speaker dignity. Yes. Right. No, we're not, you know, we're not putting a big clock on the ideas. We... we Communicate to you the amount of time you have left with plenty of, you know, plenty of warning. Two minutes of a 10-minute sermon. That's plenty of time to to make your last point, kind of circle the wagons and finish it up there. But that's not been as effective as we would like. So maybe the opposite of that. Maybe a giant gong that is placed, I think, at the dead (laughs) back of the stage. Right, right. So you see, you know, you see Deacon Stewart grab his mallet. Yeah. Get up. And start walking to the center stage. You can stop at any time before this happens. Right. And just right. wind up and crack that gong with everything he's got. <laughs> yeah. And then you think to yourself, well, maybe I over-described the concept of a church work day or the sign-up process for children's ministry. And next time, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, I just want to hear the sermon where the guy goes up and does the thing they all do, which is like... Last night I was putting this sermon together. Bong, Gong. you know, just like we don't even know that. You just <laughs> say the thing, my man. I tell you what I love about that because not as, as a timekeeping system, the the merits are obvious. Yeah, but I also like the idea of kind of a a let you know when you're on the wrong track. Yeah, yeah. like it's not so it's not that he has to leave. I think if you get up to like five or six, then you right. got to go. But yeah, he, he just things we don't we don't need that. Right. Yeah. Here are some phrases that might trigger a gonging. Yes. As I sat down to think about this, gong. No one right. tell. No one cares how you got here. Tell us what you figured out. Right. Um. Here's one. I was reading recently. Uh, yeah. I don't need that. Yeah. The word study, sure. as in the sense of you know, uh, sociologists did a study. Yeah. Gong. <laughs> was I in the study? Because this is supposed to be about me. Right. And exactly. then over time, as a training device. Yeah, exactly. that guy has starts to get that Pavlovian, horrifying, just <laughs> you know, tense reaction to being gone. Yeah, and eventually he figures out ah, maybe I'd say something encouraging. I, right, and I think we could also uh, include extensive Lord of the Rings uh, illustration. Yes. Yep. Right. Yes. Well, now just to take that up a notch, you mentioned uh, laboratory rats. If did we, I? Yeah, I okay. think so. Rats and sounds right. Sure. Here's what I'm saying: uh, electrodes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And sure. Like he, like no one else knows it. Right. But you got your finger on the on the button. Sure. He goes into his little wind yeah. up of unnecessary stuff, 
you hit it. So it's like all private. You know, like you say, you're pre- preserving the dignity. But, but again, is that going to be a goal? Or is this a much better audience experience if they can see those electrodes right on the top of his head? Well, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> element of danger. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it becomes like, can you pick it up? It's like, <laughs> as Spurgeon once said, uh, uh, well, let's, ne- never mind what Spurgeon said. <laughs> Let me just talk about hey, your like situation, that. right? I'm going to talk about your situation. Yes, okay. Well, let's let's there talk you go. about that. That's how he's You turn into a game. Guess what got him buzzed? Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I I like that idea. I think we've we've revolutionized a lot. I can't wait to see the uh, the timing gong be in Star Wars Episode Eleven. Absolutely, because apparently we know where the ideas come from now. Yeah. And with that, I will declare emergency off. All sorts of wonderful questions we got going for this week. First, we would like to talk to you about our own bridge box. This, some of those sermons you've heard at the bridge, you've heard uh, from the bridge. You've listened to Bridge Box, or if you listened to our Bridge podcast, and just think how much more you'd enjoy it if you could hear a pastor say, "Well, I feel like I had one more thing." Gong. Well, maybe not. I'll just catch you guys next time. See, it's just it's a it's a good experience all around. And of course, at every bridge house, you get sermons from Glenn and myself. You get songs from Lee that Jed has helped some of our other friends uh, mm-hmm. put together, all based around a topic. We are still in the month of April where our topic is, how do I know if I'm making a difference? So lots of good stuff on that. Only $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash bridge if you want to check that out. That is the number one way that folks who get a lot out of the podcast help support what we got going up here in Chicago, what Lee's doing down there in tennessee all right we're gonna jump to our first question here if you hang on this all the way to the end i'll use some ways to get in touch with us or you can scroll down into your episode description and click those links below our first question comes in anonymously and it says i've been having trouble after graduating college and starting my career i'm really unhappy with my choice and i'm desperately trying to figure out what exactly i want to do with my life and what path to take i know that i have the passion to accomplish anything i put my mind to however i have no idea what that something is. I'm trying to live in the present and being open to any door God puts in my way, but I'm scared my own worries will get in the way of seeing those doors. It's a fantastic question. And Lee, where do we start off? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with Matt. I'm, I'm super glad you wrote this in. Uh, it's a big, huge benefit to a lot of folks who are listening. I can, I can tell you that because one thing that happens the way our current education system is set up is that a lot of people are set up for the exact kind of emotions that you're going through right now. We kind of grow up our whole lives looking at, you know, the next grade leading to the next uh, grade level, leading to the next school, leading to the right school, leading to a good job that's going to get you the right money to get the perfect house, whatever. And there's this kind of story that's written your whole life. When you're in kind of ninth, 10th grade, people start asking you if you know where you want to go to school and what you want to major in. These are big questions to ask young people. And then you go into, you know, an institution, uh, you know, university or college or whatever. You get out of there, you have a degree, and, you know, maybe you can find a job in that field. Maybe you don't even care about that thing anymore. Or maybe you can't find a job in that field, and then you're looking at, what do I do now? All that to say that, that the things that you're experiencing right now, one thing that you need to know from the top is you are not alone in feeling what you're feeling. There are a lot of folks going through this same exact thing. Tons of folks feel the anxiety about maybe having chosen the wrong major. Maybe I picked the wrong degree to work on in school. And by the way, I, um, I, I was hearing recently from somebody that, that the average American, in any case, goes through like seven, diff- seven different careers before retirement. Um, people change jobs all the time. And you know, and not just like um, the summer job that I did in college. We're talking like big career choices. Um, and so, you know, people go through tons of different things looking for the path that really kind of fits them. One thing that you need to know is that that road right there can be difficult even when it is rewarding. Even if you find the thing that fits for you, even if you find the thing that's the that's just kind of the perfect match for for where you are, that doesn't mean that that process won't be difficult. So having the kind of questions that you have, um, th- you're in a completely reasonable place. 
Um, it's completely reasonable to experiencing those things into that that you're that you're walking into right now. One thing that I would say while you're in the process of this is to look for a way. Um, this this might feel like a distraction, but it's really not. It's a really important step in this. Is that while you're in the kind of meantime, whether that's you're in a job right now, or you're thinking about maybe going to get a different degree, or looking into other kind of stuff to apply for, go ahead and start looking for a place where you can give your life away for Jesus. A place where you can serve, a ministry where you can help somebody, where you can meet people's actual needs. Um, that's going to do a lot of things for you. One, it's going to give you a, a deep sense of purpose. It's going to give you, um, it's going to give you a, a sense of meaning, uh, something that's bigger than your life. It's going to give you the kind of satisfaction that that the scripture talks about that you get when you give your life away. Two, you're going to be on a team of people. You're going to be reaching out. You're going to be solving actual people's real problems. That that kind of stuff um, goes down deep. And it's it's one of these things where you build a new kind of community, where the scripture comes alive to you in a different way. Um, this is going to give you fellowship and purpose with, while all that career stuff kind of comes into focus. Or even if it kind of slips in and out of focus, you may, like the next thing you find might still not be the thing. But if you can find a place where you are meeting people's needs, where you're giving your life away, you're partnering with other people in the gospel, being a part of a team that is 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 doing outreach or you know doing discipleship or or serving in some way. You're going to find yourself with a depth of purpose and satisfaction even while the rest of this kind of job and work stuff slips in and out of focus. So that's one thing I would say is it makes perfect sense that you're feeling the kind of uh, questions and anxiety. You've got a good attitude about, uh, you know, I'm ready to work hard and I'm ready to throw passion into whatever I'm doing. But in the meantime, let's look for a way to serve. Let's look for a way to serve Jesus and serve other people as you kind of figure out what this path is to find some kind of deeper satisfaction, meaning, and fellowship. That's a very, very good place to start. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to, to pick us up there because I think there's something very good that our friend says in the question, and you can you can almost feel the the struggle they're trying to have with it, which is I'm trying to live in the present moment. Right. Um, I think we talk a lot and you probably hear a lot of stuff, Christian stuff about not living in the past, right? which is very important. Yeah. yeah. But then there's that idea of trying to live in a way that is kind of always projected into the future. Uh huh. What does this mean for, you know, 20 years from now, me, how does this, and what's the danger of that and how do we break out of it? Well, yeah, that uh, thinking of uh, what am I supposed to do from now on? is that's not mm -hmm. the right way for you to approach this. Because, uh, as Lee is pointing out, and rightly so, the Lord leads most of us through a number of pretty big twists and turns. You can look back on it and see a thread that's running through that, and you can see a direction the Lord was taking you in all along and things he was preparing you for and all of that. But from your viewpoint, you you wouldn't be able to see all those twists and turns, and God's not trying to get you to see all those twists and turns. Mm -hmm. There's a real danger. I think the biggest danger for you is thinking, first of all, thinking in terms of trying to combine your calling and your career. That's that's just a that's a mess right there, because uh, your your calling is your calling, and your job is your job. You can you do ministry at your job? Sure, maybe. Are you supposed to? Let's figure that out. But that doesn't mean you have to pick the right job to facilitate the ministry. It's about looking at, Lord, what do I, how do I make a difference wherever I go, and what does that mm -hmm. look like, and how does that take place? So I want those two considerations on either, on either side. The other thing that I think we're, is, is sort of muddying the waters here is a mentality of, I want to uh, to be able to uh, have a sense of the thing that I'm meant to live into. I, I have a sense of I am going to do X, and so I'm going to have to try to become this kind of person. As you put it, um, uh, I, I, I'm scared that my own worries will get in the way of seeing uh, open doors. So you're you're worried about being worried. Uh, you've invented meta worrying, and that's just nothing. <laughs> so let's not do that. I mean, let's not uh, let's not worry our way into that. We're not going to get where we're going. I want to, you know, I want to because here's what I'm I'm driving towards. 
I love your heart, and I love that you want to make a difference. And when a human being who's a Christian who has it in their heart, I want to make a difference, recognize God wants that for you more than you want it for yourself. If you and God are on the same page about this making a difference part, there is no force on earth that can stop that. You say, well, I'm worried that I'll stop it by I'll make bad decisions. There's a 100% chance that you'll make bad decisions. There's a 100% chance that God will do something with that anyway. And he can make even those mistakes and those bad wrong terms, uh, turns to serve him. So I want us to, let's do away with all this big picture, long-term thinking. Let's shrink this down to today. Because what I want you to picture is not a sort of a narrative that you're trying to live into, like we're saying here, or a job title or any of those kinds of things, a from now on thinking. I want to, if you if we want to live into the present of it, I want us to think in terms of a path. I want to find that path. It takes whatever twists and turns. It goes through whatever wild adventures. But as long as I'm walking that path today, I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't live the rest of my life according to that calling today. So I can just mm-hmm. do today right. So I want you to do something today. When you hear this, I want you to think of a person that needs encouragement, uh, needs some love. Need, maybe they need Amen. a physical resource. What are, uh, sit down and write that person an email. Get some prayer time. Lord, what does this person need to hear? Do I you know, buy him a cupcake or whatever that thing is? Craft I'm going to just rock this person's day today. Uh, I, am, I am going to get in motion of this process, and then tomorrow I build on that, and I, I figure out a way to deepen that, and I figure out a way to, to, to expand on that and learn from that, grow, and develop new things so that I'm in the path today, and I can have that sense. I'm giving myself a sense that if I want to make a difference, it happens 100%. Uh, you, you will get rid of that fear by doing that thing today. I think it's a very, very uh, great place to take that. It's something practical, something you can definitely do that's going to get you in a lot of these good places. And, Jed, I think it also gives us a pattern for a lot of these other things that yeah. we're looking at here, because as Glenn's mentioning, um, you are not going to start a ministry that is your full-time job where you email people going through a hard time tomorrow. Yep. Or you're going to email somebody. Yep. How does that kind of little bit, little bit thinking apply to these other ideas of career and uh, any other thing we might be looking for, what we're going to do for the rest of our life? How does breaking that down into little chunks work for us? That's a great question. And we're really glad that you wrote in. I agree with everything that's already been said. I actually, Matt, just like you're suggesting, I want to pick right up where Glenn's leaving off. You talked about open doors. Uh, You said that you want to be open to any uh, door that God puts in your way. And, you know, I think in life we have uh, a sense that open doors would have like a big blinking banner above them, a neon sign, big arrows and whatnot. And thou shalt go this way. <laughs> exactly right. And you know, for some people, in, once in a blue moon, that does happen. Where it's just, they, they don't always go through that door, just so you know. But, you know, again, once in a blue moon, for some people, that does happen. But for most of us, most of the time, open doors are a lot more subtle than that. And I think mm. that one of the skills in life that's important to develop as a Christian, but also just as a healthy person, is seeing the subtler open doors seeing the opportunities that are right in front of you that are easy to miss. Um, These fellows have already given you great advice on that as it pertains to ministering to other people, as it pertains to serving other people, which boils down in many ways to do something today. You know, find a person who you know is going through a hard time, write them an encouraging note today, do it. It also applies actually to kind of all these other areas of your life. So let's talk about your career for a second. Um, One thing that is kind of a universal truth is you will feel better about your career if you drive your career. If Mm. you pick some kind of direction and you you start to try and move it, you try and, and basically you take responsibility for the growth of your own career. But how do you do that? Well, look for something that could be mildly interesting to you that is available to you today. So I'm going to do that. Maybe your current job, which you don't like, and that's totally understandable and we're sorry for it, but maybe there's a training program. There's a a two-day seminar that's happening next month, and it's totally optional. The boss is going to make you go, but you think, well, that sounds kind of interesting. On a scale of one to five, I'm I'm 2.3 interested in it. Well, you should go. 
You should go and see what happens. And here's why. It's a small investment. It's a two-day seminar. If you're 2.3 out of 5 interested and it's the next year of your life to even try it out, that's a different consideration. But if it's a two-day thing, you should go. You should try it out. See, the worst case is you hate it, but you had to change for a couple of days. That's cool. That's great. I think, again, if you want to grow as a person in your career, in your relationships, and the way that you serve other people, if you look for the little open doors that can be accessed with a relatively small investment, so that in a sense, you're in a constant state of experimenting. You're in a constant state of trying things. If you can dig it, <clears throat> we talk a lot on the show about dating and how to approach that. And actually, that all this applies directly to that. Um, if you're if you're new to dating, just getting to know more people is a great thing. Um, you know, uh, I, I would like to have coffee with this person. I would like to have lunch with this other person. This is good. These are things that are, they're open doors in a sense and that you can go do this thing. You can invite this person to lunch and it's a relatively small investment for you to do that. As you... A couple things are going to happen as you adopt a life where you're intentionally looking for those subtler open doors and you're, you're making the small investments that are required to walk through them. The first is you're going to start to feel a sense of momentum, just that you're not stuck in a rut on things. And that just on its own is incredibly powerful. You're going to feel a lot better about your life just off of having a certain amount of momentum. This is This is definitely true. But the other thing is you may find things that you have a passion for that you had no idea about. You start down this road and you discover, in my career, I never thought about the XYZ field as something I was interested in, but I took the two-day seminar, and then I took the online webinar, and then I read the book, and I realized, actually, I think that's really cool. I'd like to go more in that direction. You know, with ministry, I, I, this person was going through a struggle, and then I wrote them an email, and then I sat down with them, and I had to learn more about that kind of struggle, and that began to create within me a burden for other people who have that same kind of struggle, and I realized, I want to do something about it. Well, all of a sudden, you've actually got real passions going. It's just you, you had to nurture them and cultivate them to get there, and that really leads to the last thing, which is... Culturally, we have a weird idea about passion, which is you either have it or you don't. You either wake up and you feel a burning fire to do something or you don't. And if you don't, there's nothing you can do about it. Most passions are cultivated. Most passions are stoked like a fire. Most passions are built up over time. You can do that. You can take these small steps today, do the same thing tomorrow and the day after that. And God, I have no doubt, will meet you in that process and help you to build a passion. That's all fantastic stuff these guys gave you and a great place to start. I think one of the things that can really um, be tough when you're in this situation, be that graduating or looking to change career, looking to change path is, as all these guys said, it feels like this is a huge mountain to climb and uh, taking it one kind of taking that elephant one bite at a time is really kind of the only way to do it. That's the way you're going to end up doing that anyway. So it's uh, just going to save you a lot of time and headache to onboard what these guys have told you and have a strategy for doing it that way and have a piece about doing it that way, not trying to get it all back in one swing. That will all go much better for you. We're going to jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously. And it says, how can I learn to be more patient? I can wait on stuff, but I feel like I'm about to jump out of my skin the whole time I'm waiting. I don't think that's what patience is. <laughs> and you might have a hint in the correct direction about that, dear question asker. And yeah. Glenn, where do we start off with this? Well, that's not what patience is. Uh, you're correct about that. Uh, your question is, how can I learn to be more patient? You've asked the wrong guy. Because, man, <laughs> that's not my giftedness right there, is the patience. Uh, the truth is, I mean, I suppose it's fair to say there are certain things I can be uh, patient about and certain things I can't, but that's also kind of true for everybody. There are things yeah. that, that don't uh, tweak that sense of impatience within us right. that we can handle and the stuff that does tweak that sense of impatience within us. So I think it's really about zeroing in on what is that thing that, that, that creates the impatience within us and, and drives that part of the process. Uh, I think uh, for me, on some of those things, it's about control and that sense of I mm. can't control this into being better or different than what it is. And I don't like the feeling of being out of control. And I don't like the idea that I can't just get in there and do something. And that's the impatience is I want to do something. I want to affect the outcome here. And the, acknowledging I'm not in control of that is really important. And I really stink at that because, it, you know, uh, Jed and I were talking about 
uh, uh, last night, uh, you know, the, the different struggles that we go through. And I was saying, you know, for me, the, you know, looking at a lot of uh, uh, problems that people go through, uh, I had that sense of, you know, it's it's hard for me to give up that sense of control and say, God, you're in charge, because I have a sense, well, I could do something with that. I could, you know, if I get in there and I get involved and I get all wound up in it, you know, I'm bound to do something. But there are times where the Lord is saying, I'm in control, I've got this, there's something else I want for you to do. So I think patience then can be about knowing what you're supposed to be doing in the meantime. It's not just sitting and waiting and gritting your teeth. That isn't patience. You're absolutely right. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the inaction uh, where you're you're waiting for an outcome and you're sort of holding your breath and wanting to yep. control the situation instead of saying, okay, Lord, you you have this. What is it you want me to be doing? And that busyness okay. and that engagement on on other things makes it a lot easier to be patient about uh, you know this other outcome. Uh, but I think there's another thing we might look at. Um, I think for people, if you're sort of a chronic worrier, it might be uh, one of those things where you're living with the worst case scenario of this until life proves you wrong on that if that wow. makes sense yeah i'm i'm sitting here <laughs> i have imagined the worst case scenario and in my mind that's going to happen but the only way that i will stop feeling that feeling is if life comes along and pre- i felt this lump i have a lump i think i have cancer i definitely have cancer <laughs> it's probably stage four I'm just going to operate on that assumption. I'm going to start giving away my possessions to my friends. <laughs> I love that point, Glenn. I just wonder, like, I, I think we've all experienced, there, there's a certain amount of just kind of physical adrenaline that comes with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like, you're, you're exactly what you're talking about. It's like, I, 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 I love the way you said it. I don't know how to not feel exactly what you're talking about feeling right there. Right. Yeah, you, you, the, the, the reality of that hits you so strong. And it's also... Look, I might have cancer. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so uh, I why would I be happy? And then I get I go all the way, do all the work to get like super happy and totally chill, and totally zen, and then I do have cancer. Like I did all the work to calm down, and I I could have just stayed jacked up the whole way. You know, you don't want to have to you know uh, get it all cranked up again. So. You know, this is uh, super unhealthy. You can tell uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, this might sound very realistic to you because these are the things that go through my head. Uh, But I think we have to get out of this thinking of uh, operating on the worst case scenario and and saying, I'm going to stay down and not get my hopes up and not be positive and optimistic uh, because I'm sort of protecting myself with that, and I'm preparing for the worst yeah. case scenario. But what you're actually doing is you're just living in a world of doom and destruction, and you're also suffering as if something goes wrong. In other words, in your brain, you do have cancer, even though you have no cancer in your body. So you're suffering the same ways if this worst case scenario is coming true. That's a lot of punishment to give to yourself, and God does not want that for you. That's the key thing, is to recognize he wants to set you free from that, and you don't have to protect yourself and 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 uh, order these things in your mind this way. I think that's a really, really important place to start that off, that kind of... Uh, we were actually at the, at the jailhouse today, uh, our friend Pete and I talking about um, another topic, but somebody, uh, one of the guys brought up as a way of dealing with that, that you need patience. And I never thought about this way, but one of the guys, other guys in the group immediately jumped up with, well, that's humility. You have to have the humility to have the patience. And I think as as Glenn's pointing out, a big way that comes out is the concept of these things may not happen at the time and order. I want them to, which is a tough pill for some of us to swallow. I include myself very much in that. And Lee, I think another aspect of this is uh, there's other ways that we can be looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. Or not looking at the thing that's going to help us be patient. So it's not as much patience as a skill, but patience as a vision. And where would we go with that? Yeah, I think Glenn alluded to a lot of this. Um, there was one part in in Glenn's answer where he's talking about, um, you know, kind of checking in with the Lord about 
what would God want me to do right now while I'm in the process of waiting? I think that's an amazing question because I know that, you know, I'll just kind of point the finger at me. I never ask that question. If I am in a, a time of waiting on a result of something, I am completely tunnel vision on that thing. It's the only thing I want. Don't anybody talk to me about anything else. It's where all my emotions are. It's where all my adrenaline is, as we talked about. All Everything I feel is right there aimed you know, aimed at the result. It's the only thing I can think about. The weird thing is, is that when I look back at my life, things that the Lord asked me to wait on or whatever, there, if I look back on those things objectively, I find out that there was a lot of stuff that happened in the process that I learned, a lot of ways that I grew, a lot of things that I got good at that I never would have even touched otherwise. And so, I, and, and I'm not telling you, I'm not coming at you with this point like I am an expert on this because I am, I'm standing right beside you going, I know, right? But what I'm saying is it could be that, that one of the problems that we have with the issue of patience is we're laser focused on the end, the result, the answer, the, when it's over. And the the Lord, who is a good father, has stuff he wants to teach us in the meantime. You know, there's so many things where uh, one of my kids will say, would you do this for me? And I'm like, yeah, I can totally do that for you. But I'd also like you to try it so that you could learn some things in the meantime. Uh, recently, I found out that my my oldest daughter didn't know how to fry an egg, and she loves to eat the fried eggs, but she didn't know how to fry an egg. Of course, frying an egg is not a complex process, but she had not done it to where she built up the the confidence to do it. And so it was one of those deals where she was like, can you make me a fried egg? And I was like, I would love to make you a fried egg, but I want you to stand over here and I want you to do it. I'm going to talk you through it. And the in the past three weeks, the child has fried more eggs. I mean, the number of times that we have gone to the store to get eggs because she is just an egg frying machine, just making the eggs all over the place. She's learned something in the process. She has this confidence now. And there was a thing that she got in the process that she wouldn't have got. And if she, she wouldn't have gotten if she just waited on me to do it. If she was just laser focused on the result, the result being there's an egg on my plate that I get to eat. Um, I, I say that the whole thing to say, what what if we we changed our as Matt said our vision towards okay there's a result that I'm waiting on what could the Lord be teaching me in the process of waiting on that thing I don't know what it is I don't know what reps or what skills or what failures are going to teach me things or what what frustrations I'm going to learn from or whatever but if I was to change my focus from the result to the process then I might get a lot of cool little steps to celebrate. I might get a lot of cool little things to learn. I remember, uh, you know, a while back, Jed talking about uh, learning how to do the scuba diving thing. Well, you don't start by them chucking you into the ocean. You know, you start with a swimming pool where you could stand up at any moment. At any moment, you could stand up and everything would be fine. But you learn through the process of this where it's safe and you 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 build up some confidence. And so I think that does, that that's one of the things that, I, and, and again, I'm standing right beside you on this. I, I need to learn this myself to change my focus from the result to the process. And I think that could, that could help us with some of the emotion that comes with impatience. I think that's a very, very smart way to look at this kind of as we, we talk about this a lot in a lot of situations, changing that thought process of the way you're looking at something to the way you uh, need to look at it to have the result you want is an important thing. And you can't really jump to results. I mean, I want to be a patient person is a great goal, but I think we would often talk about the path that's going to get you there. And Jed, if we're going to give maybe uh, one or two practical tips on someone who's trying to work on this, where might we start with that? Well, two things come immediately to mind, and the first goes right along with the excellent advice Lee was just giving, and that is whatever it is you're struggling to be patient about, it's a really good idea to find someone who's done it before who can tell you how long it should actually take. Mm, yeah. There's a lot of impatience that's born of deciding in our own heads how long something should take. Uh, yeah. expectation piece. <laughs> yeah. Expectations are everything, man. 
And if you can find a person, and hopefully actually a group of people, it's the kind of thing, if it's something that matters, getting a second opinion is a good idea. But finding a couple of people who've done this before, done it successfully before, maybe guided other people through it before, who can tell you, here's about how long this process is going to take. Now, that's good for two reasons. The first is, gives you a sense of, of where to set your expectations. And it's almost impossible to have peace if your expectations are just wildly divorced from reality. So that's, that's rough. But the second thing that it does is, if the experts have told you, this should take six months, months and we're on month eight and it still hasn't happened, that's a good moment to check in and say, am I missing something? Uh, is something mm-hmm. gone wrong? Is there something I'm not seeing? Because that can happen. But again, if, if we found some people who have an expertise in this field, they can help dial that in. So getting that outside advice, that outside exp- um, expertise is really, really good. It's really, really important. The second practical thing that I would offer is I think it's a really good idea to be building multiple things in your life at the same time. And the reason for Mm. it is one of them is always going to be going slower than you want it to be. Always. And if that's the only thing in your life that you are excited about and it's going really slow, that is the land of unhappiness. Yeah, uh, there's just there's just no way to feel good about that. But if you've got a couple of three things that you're working on, um, one of them is bound to be meeting some kind of expectations at any given moment. So we're not in, – in terms of just managing our own emotional state, we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. It just we, – <laughs> we are diversifying our portfolio of interests. Um, and actually, that's something, if you can dig, that the Bible recommends. So this is from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's chapter 11, verse 6. It says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, because you do not know which will succeed, whether mm-hmm. this or that or whether both will do equally well. When you've got things where um, they may take a while and there may be some variability to the arrival rate and it may be a struggle to be cool about it in the process, intentionally cultivating some other things that you're working on concurrently that are likely to move at a good clip that you can feel good about, you can feel encouraged about is really, really good. And if you can link all of those ideas together, that's about managing your own emotions. That's about recognizing this is an emotionally difficult process that I'm choosing to engage in and I'm not wrong to engage in it, but I got to manage intentionally my emotions, my expe- expectations along the way. I think, Jed, if I can read that back to you, that's all amazing advice. What you're saying is you have to diversify your emotional bonds. Wu-Tang emotions. Yep. That's a reference <laughs> wow. that like three of you got, but you loved it when you got it. That's all very good advice from these guys. And I, I want to just underline that very good point that Jed made about uh, in a lot of ways, patience is all about expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about if you the example of maybe like going to a restaurant you've ever been to, if you have to wait a little while for your food, maybe that's how long it takes at this place. But if you go to this place every week and it normally takes five minutes, about yeah. minute six, we all start to get a little itchy yeah. because we have an expectation set up. But uh, so I think one of the things that will help you apply all these, what the good advice all these guys gave you is what expectations am I putting on this situation? Because for, I think for a lot of us, when we get impatient, it's not that we would say, well, I'm putting an expectation that might be a little unreasonable, but I'm going to dig with it. It would be of, I don't even think of this as I set an expectation. I just kind of didn't notice until I started wanting to burn everything around me yeah. that my expectation had not been met. So it's, it can help to start out with something and say, I'm going to put in this job application. Think through, what should I expect for what to hear from? What have I experienced before do i know anyone who's applied at this place do i can i look up on just google how long does x company normally take to get back to you and a lot of that doesn't make the waiting any better but as you point out your question everybody the patient and the impatient alike have to wait on stuff it's just that how crazy are you driving yourself in the in the meantime and if you're looking for a good place to start reasonable expectations for how long things should take and realizing when you're setting those expectations can be a very very good thing. We move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I know that God forgives me and I'm really thankful for that, but some days I just can't forgive myself. I feel like I'm disrespecting God to not forgive myself, but I just can't let it go. Please help me know how to forgive myself. And an excellent question. Actually, one we looked at in a, uh, at a recent uh, bridge service and uh, Jed, where would we start off with this? Well, it's a great question. And you know, we collectively, the four of us on this podcast, I think this is one of the kinds of conversations we have the most, actually, mm-hmm. with people, just just one-on-one. is this thing happened, and I did it, and, and I can't move past it. And 
you know, as we have those conversations, the two things that I think probably get said by that person the most in those kind of conversations, one is um, just the exclamation, I can't believe I would do this. Yeah. And I just, I never saw myself as the kind of person who would do something like this. That that gets said a lot. And the second thing that, that's similar, but it's posed as a question is just, how could this have happened? You know, how, how could I have done this? And those are, those are both good inquiries. And I think they actually give us a bit of a map to follow of where the problem is. So we'll take them in order. The first one is that sense of just, I can't believe that I could have done this. I I just, I never saw myself as the kind of person who would do X. Well, here's the thing is um, what you're really dealing with in a lot of ways, maybe more an identity issue than a forgiveness issue. It's, Mm. I don't know how to think of myself anymore. I thought of myself as uh, upstanding and straight and moral and squared away and, you know, uh, collar buttoned all the way to the top. Mm. And apparently I'm not that. And I don't know what that, I don't know what that leaves me. I, I just, I don't know how to conceive of myself in this new era where I am not Churchy McChurcherson. And again, <laughs> there there is a forgiveness element in there, but there's a whole lot of identity in there. And yeah. just how do I think of myself? So that's that's thing one that, that is really worth looking at. And thing two is that question that they ask of saying, how could this have happened? And that's almost always asked as a rhetorical question, but it's a great question to ask in a literal sense. How did this happen? Mm. Not in a judgmental sense of how yep. could you, but no, literally, what happened? What, what, nothing comes from nothing. You didn't wake up today and decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get drunk and crash my car. That's just, that feels like the way I want to spend my day. Maybe it's fun. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. You can't <laughs> know if you don't try. Thing, something, there's a sequence of events in your life. A led to B, which led to C, which led to D, and so on, and wound up with an outcome we really, really feel bad about. But the problem is, if we don't understand the constituent steps on that journey, we're probably going to repeat them in the future. Say that, dude. Because that's that's just how life works. And so we have a way of saying, I feel like I can't forgive myself. Well, what we mean is, I literally don't know how this thing happened. It feels like it just jumped out of nowhere. And it's almost impossible to have peace with something where we don't know where it came from. And I don't know how to think of myself anymore. I don't know, you know, what kind of person I I am in in light of all of this. Well, these other bros, I have no doubt, are going to give you some really good um, uh, input on both of those things. But to, to knit them together, here's what I'd say: is the thing that those two things have in common is context. Um, a yes, you did a bad thing, but there's a context around it. There are right. events that led to it. There were choices that led to it. There was a way that you conceived of yourself. Maybe you saw yourself as a person who would never do that. And maybe that's part of what led to this to be, to begin with is you thought you were immune to these kinds of things. The more that we have context about what happened and the more that context results in understanding the more that context results in having an insight into what happened and a sense of understanding about ourselves and our motivations, we're going to find that we have a sympathy for ourselves and for our situation, which is a good thing. We want to underscore that. Having sympathy for yourself is a good thing. And that sympathy is going to lead pretty readily to forgiveness. When you start introducing context and understanding into the situation, forgiveness is going to follow pretty quickly afterwards. So that context and understanding, that's what we want to look for. I think that's a really, really fantastic place to start this. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up right there because uh, when we feel guilty, the last thing we want to do is understand this more. Right. The more I think about this, the guiltier I feel. That's right. And that's kind of the the cycle the devil catches us in of, nope, you're guilty, you're a worm, end of discussion. Right. Don't think about that anymore. Just think about how much of a worm you are. Yeah. So if we can find the courage to push through that and look at the actual situation, get more of the story... What are we going to find on the other side of that? Well, and let's start with the fact that it's it's tough to get the rest of the story because this is something horrible that I don't want to look at. And you're saying, okay, (laughs) the 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 way to figure this out is look at look at this in more depth. Oh, that that can't be good. And as we talked about at the bridge about this, uh, we we probably already tried weaseling our way out of it with it probably wasn't that bad. So if you're to the point of no, I can't forgive myself, you're acknowledging, oh, I did it. And yeah. oh, it was bad. That's right. Yeah, you you need to do that. You need to be in touch with this. Was okay. This is wrong. I don't have to try and uh, weasel out of it. 
Uh, I need to look at all the angles. If I do that, I'm going to get into what Jed's talking about, which is having an understanding of how did this happen? Now, I did a wrong thing, but I didn't do it in a vacuum. There were uh, things that influenced that decision that drove it. It doesn't mean it's an excuse. We're not hunting for an excuse. If you're yeah. confessing this is a wrong thing, then we're just understanding how we got there. When we do that, we're not going to find heroes and villains. We're going to find human beings, and that's mm. a good thing. You know, we, we want to get to the point where we have a human understanding about what's going on. That then will get us into this thinking about uh, uh, how do I, you know, what Jed was talking about there really is about an identity element there. And that's looking at do my do my actions my past the things i did is that who i am or am i who god says i am amen which of those things define me and uh, if you are thinking your past is what defines you welcome to a world of eternal depression because first of all you can't fix your past so you're screwed <laughs> second of all you me and every other human being on the planet has a terrible past. That's what you go. You look back in the past. There's no unblemished record for anyone. So there's always going to be something there for you to look at. So uh, plus being down in the dumps and, and, and negative towards yourself is only going to drive you to make more mistakes anyway. So this, <laughs> you're never digging out of this mess. So you have to decide I am who God says I am. And that's it. I've got a past. So does everybody else, but I'm a human being and human beings make mistakes uh, I need to to get out from underneath this. That drives me to the last thing here, and I think that's uh, it, it's a bit of an esoteric point, but I think a lot of people get stuck on this because they are uncomfortable with seeing themselves and projecting themselves forward as being the kind of person who gets over this and has a different life. You're used to the negativity. That feels mm -hmm. familiar, feels comfortable, and the disengaging with life is a is a protection mechanism. You know, if I don't put myself out there and try to be a good person and try and engage with other people, then nothing bad happens. Except for everything about that is bad. So, if, for for example, I had a a, a gal, uh, a wonderful, amazing, amazing uh, young gal. Uh, she's got a crush on a guy. She's uh, uh, wants to know what she should do about it. And I say, okay, what are we doing now? Well, I never talk to him and I never interact with him and I've stopped interacting with him in any level whatsoever. I said, well, it sounds sexy to me. It's one now, way to go. Mystery. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> but she said, I'm saying, okay, why not ask him out? Well, if he said no, I'd be crushed. I said, okay, I get that. Here's the problem that we haven't looked at. There are two possible bad outcomes here. One is you ask him out. He says no, and then you're crushed, and then you move on to somebody who knows what the heck he's looking at, and you Hello. have a great relationship with him. That's a rough outcome, but it's, it gets somewhere good. Here's the other bad outcome. You don't do anything, don't say anything, and he assumes you have no interest in him whatsoever. Then he asks out your best friend. They get married and they have lots of adorable babies, and you live with that the rest of your life. That's way worse. You will wish you'd asked him out. He'd said no, and you could move on at that point. So there's two different kinds of regret, but we always feel safe in the one that involves the least amount of change, the least amount of putting ourselves out there, the least amount of vulnerability, because we're comfortable and we're used to this negative self-image. That's what we need to change here. We need to have that sense of, I'm already, I already don't have a boyfriend. If I ask him out and he says no, I still don't have a boyfriend. This is, I'm at zero boyfriend now. I don't have to worry about it getting worse somehow. We, you know, the, the fact that I don't put myself out there doesn't mean I'm protected. It means I'm living in no boyfriend land. That's where I'm at. You know? So I think getting out of that negative view of yourself really is about everything I heard that Jed was saying about that. It requires courage. And that's mm. a word I want to leave you with. It's having the courage to get out from underneath that negative self-image. I think that's a really, really important point and a great, a great way to make it. And 
Lee, I'd love to get you close thought because I think uh, courage is absolutely a huge watchword on getting on the other side of this. But the other one is when we actually talked about in the last question, and that's expectations. So what are yeah. uh, some healthy expectations for this process? Yeah, I think that's a great way to to think about this. It's it's going to be really similar on the, the same kind of uh, tick as these other guys. But let's start with a bad expectation before we look at a good expectation. And that is the expectation that almost every Christian I know has, which is, I should be done by now. Like, yeah. I, I, I thought I was going to be done growing by now. I thought I was going to be at the end. I figured that today I'd wake up and I'd be holy. Um, I, I thought I was at 98%. Did you guys think I was at 98%? <laughs> so th- this, is a, this is a problem, but it's a real thing. You know, when you sit down in a small group with people and you ask them, what's the Lord working on in your life? And then there's 25 minutes of silence while somebody tries to dig up something that the Lord might be working on. This should be the easiest thing to talk about in the world. I got 15 massive malfunctions right now that the Lord is doing open heart surgery on. Come on, people. We are not anywhere near done. I think we have an expectation that like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to cooked, right? And so when something really uh, sideswipes us. It's exactly what Jed says. It's not just that we're surprised. We're flat out embarrassed. I mean, there's just shame because we thought we were done. We thought we were cooked. I mean, that's one of the things that we need to deal with is that our expectation of our spiritual growth leads us into a place of not only feeling guilt, but feeling downright embarrassment. And here's the deal is, um, and, and and it's something that I love about the other three brothers on this podcast, the way they do ministry, and and it's the way we try to do it down here too, is I wish everybody would relax a little bit about their sins. Let's all relax. Yeah. If we could all relax, we would get so much more work done. Because if we could relax, then we would be a little bit more comfortable talking about it. We'd be a little bit more comfortable being honest. And we would get a whole lot more strategy figured out because we'd be able to share what we're actually walking through and what we're doing. There was such a key point in what Jeb was talking about, simply in the idea of, if I realize the truth of who I am, my identity, then I could go straight to Jesus when I screw up and ask him the question, how did I end up here? And ask for some wisdom. And the problem with the embarrassment and the shame and the guilt um, guilt does this, shame does it, but embarrassment doesn't too. And it's all related to the identity piece that Jeb was talking about and the, 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 you know, the low way that we look at ourselves, what Glenn was talking about, is that it keeps us from going to Jesus to seek wisdom. What happened five minutes before I fell in this way, Lord? Now, the thing is, is that if you ask that question in all humility, I feel extremely confident that the Lord will enlighten you to five minutes before this, hey, you were extremely tired. You felt like a failure in some way. Somebody had said something to you that made you feel embarrassed. And then you just thought, you know what would make me feel better? Such and such and whatever the next thing was. And then bam, that's where you were. I think that the the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment causes us to run away from Jesus, where Jesus knew the whole time this thing was going to happen. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. We've talked about this before, but Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who is able and willing to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. He understands what it feels like to be tempted. That verse goes on to say, he has been tempted in every way. Extrapolate that out in your mind however you want to with whatever temptation you have ever faced. Jesus gets it. Not only that, Psalm 103 says, and it's one of my favorite things in that whole book, he remembers that we are dust. Do we remember that? Do we remember that we're dust or do we expect to be done by now? One other little piece on this expectation thing, and that is that I think we're confused at how spiritual growth happens. I think that we think spiritual growth happens when I grit my teeth and I clench my fist and I grow myself by God. That's that's the way this happens. And that's I'm going to be consistent. And I'm going to have a quiet time every day and I'm going to grow myself. But the last thing Jesus said to his guys before he went to the cross was, hey, just stay connected to the vine. 
and then the the growth happens. Uh, you know, that's a passive process on the part of the plant. By the way, that that water just goes through the the plant to the leaves. That's a that the plant expends no energy. You just stay connected to me, man. Relax about the sin. Stay connected to Jesus. He's the one that is is producing fruit in you, growing you. And, and and don't let embarrassment get in the way of going to other people and going to the Lord and asking for some wisdom and some strategy about next time. I think if we can get past the shame, the guilt, and the embarrassment, and we can learn, learn to relax, then we can start to get some strategy and start to figure out how we pick ourselves up, forgive ourselves, and move on to next time. I think that's uh, all really fantastic stuff you've heard from these guys. If you have a question for us, say at podcastgmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can scroll down to the episode description to find either of those address or material. The song this week, this is from this current month's Bridge Box. This is our friends Pete and Tasha Lawson. The song yeah. about a lot of the stuff we're looking at on this show called Change That Life. Take out that. Thanks for listening. And just remember... We love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. We're hard at work at liturgical electrotechnology. The Save That Podcast will zap your church into effectiveness. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble all over it, weigh me down. People I care about watching them drown. Scream at the top of my lungs, no sound. Not listening now, but they coming around. Like a gardener out working the ground. Taking rocks out of the way, showing them how he showed up at the crib every day, wearing a frown. You were in the pen for ten, look at you now. Too much on my mind, so I find the wind. Can't fix the problem, so I'm kinda kin. Jesus saw the sinners and he dined with them. The people got change, I'm aligned with them. And make someone new, spend time with them. Open new frontiers where my mind has been. A new place, prepare, co-sign the rent. Jesus pick up the cost when he binds the sin. Change that life, change that, change that, change that life. Change that, change that. Change that life when you check your pride Change that life when you put it aside Change that life when it ain't for the fame Change that life in Jesus' name Change that life Change that, change that, change that life Change that, change that Sinners are all that we got here And I've been there myself so I don't fear I'm a scout like Joshua, I can see clear Not afraid of the giants when the Lord near i let his light shine so I don't do fraud Eyes clearing up so I don't see odd Eyes up ahead, ain't ashamed of the pause Life with an end, put it all on God Oh, what an awful perfect in my faith My God is the author, neglect all the shame Even when I falter, Romans 12, I'm alive on the altar New mind differ from its natural state God got a will for me that I couldn't create Other people higher than me like humility rate I help out on a team for their abilities, great Change that life, change that, change that, change that life Change that, change that, change that life when you check your pride Change that life when you put it aside Change that life when it ain't for the fame Change that life in Jesus' name Change that life, change that, change that, change that life Change that, change that Going fishing better get a net No target like a damn ready yet A great big world with a lot of pain One you, it's true You can heal the strain in Jesus' name Heart so big, pity tempt me Fix them up before they drown in sin See, I don't understand what my sin sees How could God look down, see the pain and not send me God heals all when he draw people near Some people feel they're the worst people here God working things out while you asleep here So I'ma move to the side, let the chiefs hear I'll play my part Day by day display thy art Stay dismayed while I earn the right to speak to the heart Learn